Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined. I am your host, Cindy Stibbard. And if you are just contemplating divorce, thick in the process or out the other side, wanting to make better choices and redefine yourself and your life in the process, you have come to the right place. No matter what stage of life you are in, Maybe you're just dating and seeking advice on to how to be the best partner you can be. Or maybe you're navigating a tough time in your current relationship and you want to do things better. Maybe you're going through a divorce and you need some guidance or inspiration and strength to get through it. Or maybe you're even out on the other side looking for ways to become a better, more evolved human and co-parent. Whatever path you're on, whatever stage you're at, my goal and purpose of this podcast is to provide you with the information, education, inspiration, and empowerment so you can make the best decisions for you, whatever those decisions may be. And it really, truly brings me joy to be able to bring you such an incredible lineup of guests. Every week, I have someone who I truly have hand-selected because I believe they will resonate with you. Their message, their story, the work that they do is going to truly impact your life for the better. Now, you know that I run this show full of uh, free of sponsorships so that I can just bring you as much value as possible. But I do need one thing from you to help me get this show out in front of all of those people who need it and as many people as possible. So please head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it be on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and please follow the show and give us a five-star rating. The more ratings we have, the more people we can reach, which means the more people we can help. And serving others is truly what my mission is all about, and that's what this podcast is all about. And it truly, really does help. So I thank you, and I'm grateful for you in advance for going ahead and doing that for us. And I want to get into today's show. Today's show, I have a really amazing guest, which I'm so excited about. Jason Van Ruler is here with me. He is a licensed therapist, therapist, (laughs) author, speaker, and coach determined to help you grow your relationships, become a stronger leader, and own your past to drive a better future. Thanks for coming, Jason. Great to see you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. I've been following you for a while, um, as well as my coach and mentor, Terry Cole. We talk mm. about you all the time, about you know your your words of wisdom and how calm and you know very relatable you come across. And so we really admire your work for sure. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah. And today I want to talk about all the things because I had a little bit of a glimpse into your book and I find it incredibly intriguing. Your story is one that I believe will resonate with a lot of people about coming from a really difficult place and getting over things like drug addiction and alcohol. And, you know, basically you were rock bottom at one point in your life and how you clawed your way back up. So why don't we start with a bit of your story and share with us how you got started and where this all began? 
Yeah, well, the the short version is, um, (laughs) I I think, yeah, well, this will be hour one. Um, No, the short (laughs) version, the short version is, um, I think I had really what I I thought was going to be an idyllic childhood until about age eight. And then uh, as a very shocking develop, my parents decided to divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, and divorce is something that happens, obviously. And, and as you know, uh, that can be something we navigate really well or something that gets pretty messy. And so uh, my parents had not listened to your podcast. They did not do that well. <laughs> um, and and so what happened after that uh, is I kind of went from this very stable home uh, where it was secure to this place full of chaos and trauma and abuse. And, and so from, you know, age eight to age 18, we moved 20 times. So it was just lots of moving, lots of the things, all the problems I had never had any experience with. Um, and so I did like most people do when they come out of a bad childhood, which is they just say, uh, I'll never do that. Right. right? And yes. so I, I made my declaration. That's not going to be me. No way, no how. Uh, And wouldn't you know it, within like three or four years, it was exactly me. Um, I just went and built the thing. Only this time, it was me building it. Um, And I like to say that a lot of that comes from not having the wrong intentions, but not having instructions. Mm -hmm. And so although I wanted it, I didn't know how to get it. And so that led me to all the same places um, until I really had this moment where I caught a look of myself in the mirror. And I just thought, oh, man, I don't like this guy. Like, I thought this was going to be different, but it's the same. Um, And for me, that didn't change everything in that moment, but it planted a seed that led me here today. Wow, that is so inspiring. And I feel that that is like turning point with when people open their eyes. And so many of us do that. I mean, we only really recreate what, what is comfortable for us, what we know, what we've seen, what we've been through. And even though we try so hard to resist it, it's amazing how many of us actually do create what we're trying so hard to avoid. And what is with that? Why do people do that? And I think that that's the, also the, you know, the, the big millionaire million dollar question is how can we actually recreate the past instead of following in those those footsteps because i said the same thing as you you know my parents went through divorce my mom was super you know the disenfranchised spouse i like to say so i had no idea of any of the family finances you know didn't do all of those things with a stay-at-home mom and i'm like i will never do that and of course, that is exactly what I ended up becoming. <laughs> you know, it's against- a bummer how that works. It <laughs> happens, but it's a total bummer. Right. Yes. Even though consciously in my mind, I knew for sure that wasn't what I wanted. But you're right. We don't know what to do otherwise. So, where can we start to, you know, instead of I was 42 at the time when I realized I could redesign my life? But, um, I think, how do people start this early on when you do know that you're on a path that you don't want to recreate? What do they do to begin that process? Yeah, I I think that's such a hard place to be. And it's one that a lot of us just distract ourselves from. So I, I think really the first step is just having whatever moment that you have to have of absolute honesty with yourself of just, you know, for me, it was kind of seeing myself in the mirror and be like, man, Uh, but that might be journaling or meditating, but just coming to a place of is what I'm doing working really and pausing and actually letting ourselves answer that question. And if the answer is no, then who do I talk to to help me get out of it? Because the truth is, if we knew how to get out of it uh, all together on our own, we would have probably done that already. Mm -hmm. So how do we start to be honest with ourselves and honest about where we need help? 
Yes. I love that because you do say that in your book too, of don't be afraid to ask for help. And I think a lot of us are because they think, oh, I'll be fine. You know, I'll get through it. I'm stoic and I like, I'm going to make something of this, but you're right. How do you know how to make something of this? Like, how do we actually know how to make the changes that you need to take your path on a different path? When you were going through your epiphany and your eye-opening moment, who do you feel really inspired you to kind of keep going and go in the right direction? Like who did you ask for, for help? Yeah, initially, um, it, there were some mentors in my life who just were doing the things I wanted to do. So so what I kind of recognized and and see even in my practice all the time is we really, we don't have heroes and role models like we used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's people that we feel we know, but we don't really look up to people and say like, oh, I want to be like them. Or uh, I think that used to be something we did a lot more. And so what I did early on is I said, if I want to have, say, a healthy marriage or I want to get my finances in order, I need to find some role models for that. And then I'm just the type of guy that just picks up the phone. So I'm kind of weird like that. But I was like, I think I'll just call them and ask how they do it. And, wow, and I'm sure brave. some of them were like, yeah, they're like, what is this guy doing? And I'm like, I'm terrible with money. What is happening? Um, I don't know how to do relationships. How do I do it? Uh, and so just, I think, being willing to do the work, take some action, and also be honest with ourselves, that's that's really the the main ingredients to get started. Wow. And having the guts to go and say, hey, I don't know this. Can you please help me? right? Because I think that's even where it begins. We feel ashamed of ourselves for not knowing this, or we feel small, or we don't feel confident to put ourselves out there. Oh my God, are they going to think of me? You know, I feel, I feel stupid. I feel like I should know this, but I don't know this. And it takes a lot of courage to be able to just put yourself out there and say, Hey, I need help. And it's quite amazing because I was that way too. I'm like, I can't ask anyone for help. I had to do this myself and I'm going to prove everyone that I can, you know, But it's amazing when you start to ask for help, people are like, yeah, sure. What do you need? You know? Yeah, they actually meet you there, which, you know, and I'll be honest, I did the same thing you're talking about where I I did, I did the too much or not enough. I did that shuffle Mm. for a long time, uh, you know, where it was too bad to ask for help or not bad enough. And so I was like, well, I just, I don't know. And then I just thought, but I'm still stuck. And so Mm. if I'm still stuck, I have to do something. And so doing something often looks like, even reaching outside of your circle. And the reason I say that is because sometimes the people around us are more invested in us staying the same than being different. Oh, and so, wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so they're going to give you advice that keeps you stuck. And, and they may mean to do that. They may not mean to do that. But sometimes we get clarity from asking someone outside of that. Hey, what do you see? What do you think? Okay, that let's go into that because I think that is such a powerful realization because it is so true. And I see that a lot in relationships and divorce. I work with a lot of people who are on the fence about leaving a relationship, but it's it's the advice they get from others because other people have a stake in your marriage, whether you go because now you can finally be single and you can go and be single with them and you have to stop complaining about your relationship or wait a second, I kind of like the benefits that I'm getting from you being married to this person. So maybe you don't, maybe don't go. So yeah, let's talk about that because I think a lot of people, well, most of us, we look at our our closest friends, our family, and we take their word as as gold. Like they truly know. They know us. They have their best in our best interests at heart. You know, they have the most solid advice. And so when at what point can we like open our eyes to be more discerning about like, well, hey, like what's that's what's at stake for them? 
Yeah, I, I think the start of that is just asking someone outside of that and seeing how they react. So if they're not even open to you asking someone outside, um, that's problematic because it says they've got an agenda. And the thing is, is we all have interests and investments and relationships. So while I understand that, it's not always the most objective help we're going to get. And and so going outside and just saying like, hey, this person that doesn't really know the situation, um, what would you do or how would you handle this can be really helpful in that we either do what they say or it can even tell us like, oh, that's actually not for me and I'm doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. But I think we have we have to look at the source of that information. And if we keep going to the same place we're stuck to get help, we're just going to stay stuck. Absolutely. Absolutely. And being really open with yourself about the fact that you could be stuck because so many people have a hard time even taking accountability for that piece or being that that self-aware of I am struggling here and maybe I do need to ask the right people because we have this this desire for our, our confirmation bias, right? Tell me all the things I need to know to keep me exactly where I am, you know? That's what I want to hear. Only yeah. that. I don't want to hear anything else. No, exactly. only only the good things that keep me here. Yes, exactly. So that we can just be comfortable and we're validated in our stuckness. And then we know that I don't know, it's just this is where I'm at right now. This is my season. Maybe this is all that I'm, you know, the life that I'm meant to have. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can change that and we can change that by changing our mindset, changing our people. And I want to go back to your story a bit, because I know that you also which which to actually to me, and I'll be honest, was very surprising when I heard this in your book that you had struggled with drugs and alcohol because you portray yourself now as you're very put together, you're very poised, you have so much knowledge and you know success. And it's like, wow, it's amazing how we can look at someone and how they've redesigned who they really are and that your past is only a part of who you become. And I love that you actually, that you named your book what you did, uh, Get Past Your Past, How Facing Your Broken Places Leads to True Connection, because I think that a lot of us are still stuck in the past. A lot of us are judged on the past. A lot of us think it's because of my past, I can't do A, B, and C in the future. So tell us about how you acknowledged those disordered relationships, those coping skills in your life that you were using at the time, and how you got through that and pushed past that. Yeah, I, I think I just wanted more. Um, I, mm. I think I've always been curious and and been hopeful. And so I just, I had a really hard time accepting that that was it. Mm. And and so I thought I kind of want to make a run at it. And, and if it is it, if that's right, then I guess I know how this should feel uh, because I'm living there. And if not, it'll just get better. And so for me, I think what it was is is just thinking this can't be it. This just can't be what it's going to be like. And so, um, yeah, I had struggled a lot with a lot of things, truly, um, and just not having good boundaries, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. or even having the ability to plan or be intentional about stuff. And so it took a lot of help. But people ask me, they say, Jason, what was your big plan or how did you really do all this? And and I think sometimes they're annoyed because the answer is very simple. Um, I just did the next thing I was told to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I really didn't complicate it. I just, if someone said, hey, go read this book, like I just read the book. If they said, go talk to this person, I just talked to this person. Um, and so I think for me, it was just, I'm going to do the things to try to figure this out. Um, and I guess if I know what this is like and it doesn't change, then it doesn't change. But I want to make a run for it. Because mm, you knew inside you wanted more. Yeah. yeah, I just I just thought, oh man, this isn't this isn't like what I dreamt of as a kid. 
you know, yeah. this looks different. Um, I thought I'd, I'd like be in love and I thought people would love me and like, I'd have some stability. And so, uh, there just has to be something I'm missing here. Yeah. How old were you when that sort of started to change that mindset? Yeah, I was early twenties. Um, mm. before that I was just so dead set on doing it on my own. I was right. just certain that I had it all figured out. Um, and, and I wish that I had, uh, but it rarely works that way. It usually takes a few of us to figure things out instead of just one. Yeah. And did you find that you had to parent yourself a little bit because your your family situation and your past lacked Yeah, that? yeah. I learned that the things that I was missing, if I didn't figure out how to get those as an adult, that I would just try to seek those out in other places. And mm -hmm. so for me, a lot of figuring out why I was so unhealthy was figuring out what I needed that I wasn't getting. Mm -hmm. And I tell clients this all the time. Um, I have heard of some varying behaviors and on the spectrum of I did this or I did that. And and I just, I don't know if I've ever heard someone that has done something um, that I can't understand the reason they did it because ultimately they want to meet a need. Yeah. But I think if we don't know what the need is, we find ourselves caught up in doing sometimes really the wrong thing because it somehow touches on that need and we're too afraid or we're unaware to actually get the need met somehow. Right. So what would an example of that be in like adult relationships? Yeah, I think sometimes we need affirmation. Like that was maybe just a thing we didn't get as a kid is mm -hmm. uh, is words of love or affirmation. Um, and so what we can do then in adult relationships is we can pursue that from other people. We can we can say like, I just I'm this black hole of needing that. Um, or if you're not giving that to me every day, our relationship's not good. And, mm -hmm. and really what's at the heart of that is like a kid that just needed to be told they were good and loved mm -hmm. and they didn't get it. But because we lack that insight and awareness, then we find all these people to subcontract that need out. So we mm -hmm. say, instead of getting the real thing, I will go to this person to get a 10th of what I actually need and just have 10 of those people. Yes. And we start looking for all that external validation to make us feel worthy, to make us feel whole because we don't feel that ourselves. And it does come from not getting that from, from your impactors and your, in your parental caregivers as a child. And where do you feel that it starts to work on? We have to give that validation and that worthiness to ourselves. Yeah. When it's inefficient, I'm a big efficiency mm -hmm. guy. So, so if I'm having to have all these other relationships that give me a, just a trickle or a, a sliver of what I want, is that very efficient? And it's not. Mm -hmm. And so how do we actually do something that works? So that's when I talk with clients, there's things that are efficient and things that aren't, they're all possible ways to meet a need, but our best ways to meet the need are efficient, right? Yeah. Because they're pure and simple. Yeah, exactly. Do you think you know, your your childhood with the divorce and moving so much, do you think your path would have been different had you not had to go through all of that? Yeah, I think I was on the path just to replicate it, honestly. I, mm. I think I was just uh, going to be the same person. Um, and, you know, my parents, I, I love them very much, but they didn't know what they didn't know. And so I think had I not been a bit curious, I would have easily replicated that probably with greater intensity and much faster than they did. You know, I, mm. I don't know if I would have waited as long to kind of blow up my life. And so, um, yeah, I think I, I got lucky in some ways. Um, and I tell people that and I realize that not everybody feels that they're lucky that way. Uh, but I felt lucky that I was able to ask the question. Mm -hmm. Well, you also knew inside yourself that you did want more. And I think that's that's the little glimmer that I think we could all find in ourselves. It's not necessarily 
you know, our circumstances, although sometimes they definitely add to it, but it's that, that fire in you that it was just lit and it might've just been tiny bit lit, but you knew that it was burning and that you had to go and, and make that flame bigger for yourself. So as you progress down that path of of learning and asking questions and getting help, when did you decide that therapy was going to be the route you took? Pretty much right away. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, <pretty laughs> yeah. I mean, because along along with calling people and asking, they were like, "You need to talk to somebody. Uh, mm-hmm. This is above my pay grade, and so you need to talk to somebody." Um, and I was already okay with therapy, so I didn't have to be won over or anything like that. Um, but I did realize, like, I was going to have to talk through some of this uh, with somebody who was willing to listen, and I might have to talk through it ten times. And so sometimes what we need to do with asking for help is understanding who can help with what. And so there were definitely some people in my life who were like, I'll give you big, broad direction. Like, I'm happy to answer the phone and tell you that. Um, But I'm probably not the person that you talk about the same thing for an hour hour just to vent and get through it. Like, you need somebody else for that. And so therapy came into my life and I started to do some trauma work and healing, which really changed things. Wow. And that takes a lot of courage too to do that in your 20s. And as a male, because I think there's a lot, a lot of resistance around, you know, I can do this myself. I can figure it out. I don't need, I don't need a mind shrink or whatever to like help me figure things out. But that took a lot of courage on your part to not have that resistance and be open to that change and that growth and looking at your past and thinking, okay, how can I use this to a positively springboard me into something that I don't want to become? And what do you think is the resistance around around therapy for a lot of men, younger men, any man, let's just say, you know, from a man's perspective yourself? Yeah, well, I think the idea with a lot of men is that talking about your feelings is a waste of time, right? We we sit down and we talk about our feelings and how does that really change anything? And most men are are really in sort of the more, you know, logic or analytical space. And so they just say like, that doesn't, that doesn't fit there. Uh, we don't need that. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to talk with lots of clients and some of them have literally very analytical jobs uh, where they say like, oh, emotions don't even have to be part of me being an engineer. Like, yeah, I don't have to right. think about how I feel about that. Um, and so why would I want to do it now? And it's a I think it's a very reasonable question. I, I think, you know, the why is do you do you want to have love or give love? That's mm-hmm. why, you know, so if we just really make it simple, um, it's do you want to be in relationship with someone else? Because if you do then you kind of have to figure the emotional stuff out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, you've got to bridge that gap because it won't work otherwise if you're completely emotionally lacking in your relationships. Yes. You do talk about a bit about empathy. I noticed um, one of your posts was about, you know, being empathetic and learning how to be empathetic. Do you believe that from a therapist's perspective that people can learn empathy? Like, do they, are they born with this? Are they genuinely you know, able to, to identify that they don't have it very well, or they're not really strong in it and grow it, you know, or do people truly lack it and are unaware of how to build it? Cause you do see a lot of the whole, like, oh, they're narcissists and they don't have empathy because they're not born with empathy. You know, where do you feel that empathy can be developed? Yeah, well, it is hard to give what we haven't gotten. So that's, that's mm. really the first challenge is if someone hasn't gotten that, it's really tough to give it to somebody else because it's not intuitive or natural. I do think that it can be done and there is hope, but I will be honest in the sense that it really comes down to the person's willingness. Mm. 
You know, we don't talk enough about willingness, but so many things are possible to change if we're willing. Uh, But if we're unwilling, yeah, there's just not a lot of hope there. And so sometimes the challenge that we have is uh, people say it's going pretty well in these nine out of 10 areas, but not this one. And so why change? And if you're a person in that space, very difficult to develop empathy. Um, If you're a person that says, yeah, I really want to do this, there are totally ways to do that. Yeah. I love that willingness piece because I do think that's a big factor too in relationships is if they want to and are willing to work on whatever issues that are between you, even the issues that are with them in themselves, those patterns from the past, those, you know, unmet childhood needs that are just rearing their heads in your relationship. Are you willing to go and go a bit deeper in that so that we can get to a better place together? And something I also learned from Uh, I think a podcast I was listening to, maybe it was Jillian Turecki, I can't remember, Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. they talked about the difference between willingness and capacity. You know, like when your partner can be really willing and they want to make the changes, but then somehow they just don't have the capacity to make those changes. And capacity comes from the work that you do, actually going and working with someone to teach you how to bridge that gap between willingness and capacity. And do you think sometimes there are just going to be people in life who may never actually have the capacity to meet your needs in a relationship? Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, absolutely. And I'd like to see them try. So sometimes I hear people say, well, I just don't have capacity. And I say, well, how hard have you tried? Uh, Well, not that hard. Yeah, I don't know then, right? And so, yes, absolutely. uh, Some people just aren't. and, And that's okay. We don't have to be everything to everybody. Um, but how hard are you trying? And so that's a question I'd ask a client is, um, okay, like, what have you tried to date? Um, and are we really at a place where you've done everything? And yeah. and if you have, then maybe we call it quits. And, and if you haven't, maybe there's something left to try. And you get those couples that come to your office and they are literally on the fence of what should we do next? Yeah, um, they are. And and sometimes I think uh, we say we're on the fence when we probably have a leaning, we're, we're mm-hmm. leaning. Um, and so what they're looking for a lot of times in my experience is just something to make it more definitive, something mm-hmm. to, to really say, yep, this is why I think what I think one way or the other, uh, this is why I should have hope or this is why I know it's over. And so they hope through those conversations that it yields some of that clarity. Yes, yes. I, I definitely agree with that because, you know, even as as someone who coaches people through the divorce process, I'm in no way an advocate of divorce. You know, I really think that a lot of times couples can make this decision far too quickly based on emotions or these, or these constant issues that keep reoccurring because they just haven't learned the skills to get over them, or they really haven't come to the table together to be able to learn how to communicate more effectively and meet each other's needs together. There's usually one person in the relationship that's invested in doing the work and expecting the other person to do all the changes, you know? I wish it worked that way. I mean, it's it's a nice thought. It just rarely does. Yeah. And when you start to, you know, there's so many different layers, but I feel when you also start to accept your partner for who they are and what they bring to the table instead of constantly trying to change who they are. I mean, yes, we want to change and improve behaviors that may not be necessarily effective in your relationship, but essentially who you are as a person, even in terms of values, they may not be fully aligned with every single value on your list, but it's coming to the term of this person and what the good qualities that they have instead of always highlighting what they aren't bringing to the table for you. Do you see that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Acceptance is such a big thing. And, and I think it's something people struggle with. I, I know I've struggled with it um, because we want it all our way. And so and so that's just kind of how we're wired. It's like, I just want all the things that I want and I want them right now. And that's awesome. Uh, there's just not many relationships like that. And if we actually get it, right? So if we actually have our, our three pages of things that they have to do and we get that, we need to be a little careful that we're not recruiting someone into codependency. Because if we do actually get that, what we're saying is, I would love for you to abandon who you are to be who I want you to become. Right. And there's a big challenge there. And so sometimes even if we get all the things we seemingly want, we find we still have an unhealthy relationship uh, and we have one that keeps us more stuck than growing. Yes. So let's talk about codependency, because how does that look in a relationship? If you were to look at two couples or a couple, two people, where, what are the signs that there is codependency going on between them? Yeah, well, I think, uh, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but codependency is a real hot button word. Um, and mm-hmm. I and I think people have a real reaction when they hear that. Um, and, and they might think about, you know, addiction literature in the 80s and 90s and be like, oh, I don't, codependency, I'm not that. Right. Um, and so some people just call it dependency today. And so there's all these different things. Uh, and it does exist in a relationship um, in seasons. So it's not like it can never be that way. Because let's be honest, when we first start dating, we're probably a little codependent. Um, we have that honeymoon phase. And so ultimately, what I see with a couple that's been long standing that has dependency or codependency is one person kind of sets the temperature of the relationship. And the other person's job is to keep it. And so they just kind of say, hey, this is what we think about this. This is how we feel about this. And and that is uh, they're setting the tone for how it is for us. And so uh, I will tell clients like in that relationship, the whole goal is to stay the same. And there are big problems if something's different. Uh, But what it requires us to do is that one person has to abandon themselves in order to make that work. And that's often where we have big regrets when a relationship ends is if we were the person that made it work. Yes, that is so common. So that is very, most of, I would say a lot of relationships then have that codependency because I think you're right. It starts at the beginning because you want to make the other person happy. You want to, you know, please them. You want to make sure that everything is comfortable. And one person, I was guilty of doing this is you sacrifice your authentic self to be able to be more aligned with your partner so that you can create that harmonious path together and say, ah, I don't need to be that way. Or I don't need to have those likes or, you know, even spend time with those friends because we're going to go on this path in this way together. So that by the time you've built your life together, you know, you've almost trained this person to, to expect a certain way from you that you're going to be in which you've actually left some of your real self behind and they don't really necessarily realize that. And you come to this place 10, 15, 20 years later and you're like, I don't know who I am anymore. I feel so disconnected. I don't know who, you know, my identity, I feel like I'm living my authentic truth in this relationship. Because I think that that tends to always rear itself again in life. Is that we are who we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and we can't hide that forever. And so uh, you probably see this as much as I do. But when we have that relationship where we've been abandoning ourselves and we start to get healthy, it actually really negatively impacts the relationship. And so people are often surprised. They're like, I'm the healthiest I've ever been. And my marriage is the worst it's ever been. Right. And a lot of times it's kind of this telltale sign of growth isn't allowed. And mm-hmm. so if you're getting healthy, that's not what we do here. 
And so that's where I'll see couples actually end is because someone says, I'm not willing to change. I I want to go back to us being the same. And if you won't, it doesn't work. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I think at that place, you have to be able to be, I think knowing enough in yourself to know, okay, well, if this is what you want, I want more than maybe this relationship has run its course. Yeah. And that's such a tough decision to make, Mm -hmm. you know, because I I think, I think a healthy relationship is an invite only relationship. You you can invite Mm -hmm. someone there, but you can't make them show up. Um, And so we get to that point where we might realize like, I'm inviting this person who is going to refuse to show up and I need to decide if I go back or I go forward. And, And that's a tough decision to make. Because there are all these other layers involved. I love them. We have kids together. We have this family that we've created you know, but this person, are they truly aligned with growth and in the direction that you want to go? And I think because change is scary. In my own marriage, I struggled with wanting to change because I was conditioned or told, I guess, by my spouse that why would you want to change? Everything is great. We'll just keep it the same. Like it's wired. Why do you need to be different? And it was always so confusing to me because I thought, yeah, like, why do I want to be different? Why, why do I want more? Like, why, why do I always want to like grow and, and do different things? And so I questioned myself that that was wrong, that I was being ungrateful in the relationship and in the life that I had, because I wanted to keep growing and evolving and not being not staying the same. And I remember having that epiphany in therapy thinking, well, don't we all want to grow? Don't we all want to change and get better and not stay the same forever? And I realized that because that was my situation, whereas if I wanted to stay the same forever, then I could easily stay in this marriage as it was going to be, and that would be fine, but it wasn't what I wanted. And so based on that alone, I had to make a really big decision. Is this really the direction or who I need to be with to to be that person who's going to allow me and foster my growth, and they're going to grow too in the future? But that's, and that's scary. such a tough, yeah, that's so tough yeah. to get to that place. Yeah. And it's so scary for a lot of people too, to think about growing and changing. Does that mean like I have to go to therapy? Like I don't want to unpack all the baggage from my childhood. Like I don't want to go there. Yeah, I get that. Um, and I think both are hard. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think both are, are going to require you to do some things you don't want to do. And you just have to think about which one you're more okay with. Uh, mm-hmm. There are certainly some people who say, you know, we have this life and we have status or we have these finances. And so uh, I'm happy to just stay put. Great, great. Like right. people decide that. Um, and then there's people who say like, oh, actually, I just need to grow even if it means it costs me something. Yes. Um, and so I'm always telling clients like I'm okay with whichever you choose as long as you choose it. Yes. Yeah. And you're and happy that's, with that's it, right? Because. Yeah. You see people that are like, I chose this, but I'm still complaining about it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, okay, well, I mean, I hear you, but at some point it's that acceptance of if you chose it, this is what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And that it be okay with that because it's nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with it if it's making you happy. Exactly. And I think sometimes too, people get scared of the, the idea of therapy. So I love how you have this really cool approach. You've combined it and you call what you do coaching because you think of working with you is as a combination between therapy and coaching, because I think that there is a little bit of a, there's a bit of a difference. And there's also this little bit of a stigma of, you know, if I go into therapy, I'm going to have to do all this trauma work. I don't want to know my past. I don't want to know what's happened. And then coaching is a bit 
different and maybe, you know, less regulated. But I love that you've combined the two because I do feel that that's a, that's a beautiful marriage of the two things if you're able to, to deliver that. Um, how do you see that therapy and coaching are different and how they blend so well together? Yeah, well, therapy tends, I mean, if we think about what most people describe it as, is therapies uh, past oriented. So we're talking about things that have happened in the past, whereas coaching tends to be forward oriented. And so I'm just wired in a way, I, I want to give clients value every time we talk. And so sometimes that means we talk about the past, but other times it means we actually look forward. And so I've got what I would call a terrible business model, uh, but I want to get people healthy enough as quickly as possible so they can fire me. And, and everyone's like, oh, Jason, <laughs> you, you need a business coach. That is so, that's not what you want to do. Um, and yet it's exactly what I want to do because mm. um, I want to help people willing to take action to get better. And yes. so we might talk about trauma in the past, but we're also talking about what is our on-ramp to the future? Um, because I think if we're not careful, we can get way too stuck in things we can't change. Um, and that can just keep us stuck in that same feeling. Yes. And then you create your codependency, right? You've got these clients that have become dependent on you to like keep them going and forward in their lives and not able to really, you know, leave the nest on their own, which is the ultimate goal. Just like when we raise kids. Yeah, I want them to go out. I want them to say, Jason, it's been great, uh, but it turns out I can do this on my own and I'll check in with you in a while. Uh, those are honestly, that's like my favorite moment, uh, which again, yes. bad business model. But when someone's like, I think I got this and I'll check in with you. I'm just like, this is the best day ever. Like we should celebrate this um, because I think the healthiest people in our lives want that for us always. Yes. I actually think it's a brilliant business model because it means you're doing it right because these people can actually transform and they actually can leave you with the skills that they need to get out in the world. It's like being good parents. We want our children to be able to leave us one day. We've done a good job when they can say, okay, mom and dad, we're good. Thank you. You know, we'll come back when we need you, but, but you know, we're off on our own because you've done such a good job equipping us with the skills and the confidence that we can go out and fail and we can learn and we can do all the things, but that we're going to be okay. Yeah. I think it's great. And and I'm a little strategic uh, just to kind of show you behind the curtain because my strategy is also if we can find a partner that does something like that, we've landed mm -hmm. in the right relationship yes. because our right relationship has a lot of those same qualities. They say, I want you to grow. I want you to reach your potential and try new things. And I want you to want to come back. Yes. I don't want to have to keep you here. I love that. And I think that's so essential in relationships. I had that with my former partner, Mike, who just passed away. And he was, mm. he struggled with, um, grew up as an addict in an abusive household. And he was seven years sober um, when he passed. And that whole, that whole desire of wanting to grow and change, I think was what I loved about him the most, the struggle of how he was overcoming it, you know, and, and what he was doing about it and the openness to going to therapy, because even we'd only been together for five and a half years when he passed, but right away, it was all about, okay, well, let's, let's do this differently. Let's totally do this in a better way than we did in our first relationships. Cause obviously we both played a role in the breakdown of those that we need to, you know, sort out and make sure that we don't repeat those patterns here. But being open to going to therapy, I think it was the first thing that was like, oh my gosh, yes. Like now I'm even more attracted to you because you want to be open and learning and growing and participating in that, in that place with me. And I think sometimes couples don't realize that 
just that act of of showing up and doing the work and and learning more about each other in that environment is so connective, you know, and it's really quite intimate. Yeah, I don't know how how many relationships I've heard where they said, "Oh, I'm not attracted uh, to them because they do therapy." It's actually quite the opposite, <laughs> yeah, right? It's totally. And, and so I'm just saying, like, if you want an easy on ramp to like your partner looking at you uh, and and being even more attracted, is try. Uh, even if you get it wrong, you know, I definitely work with some couples where I'm like, oh, man, I think we tried the same thing like 10 times um, and maybe the 11th time you get it right. But you know what? Just that effort and that indication that I take this seriously and it's important, uh, that really makes people feel good. They feel like, OK, well, you're not perfect and I can live with that, but you are trying. And mm-hmm. and so I think if you're listening to this it's, and, and you might say, well, I'm so far away from where I want to be. I don't know that that's really the point as much as how willing are you to try. Yes, I love that because it is the journey. I don't know if we ever truly get exactly where we want to be. You know, we accomplish little milestones along the way and get better and better and better. But there's always something to move towards. You know, we're always, I always, what's that quote? If we're not growing, we're dying. Right. So mm-hmm. there's always should be that path of, of growth, even if it's a little baby steps. And one person's likely to be a bit further than the other at some point and maybe vice versa. But as long as you're moving in the same direction together. So your when did you meet your wife and how did you know that, you know, this was going to be your person? And what did you know, how did you two have that connection? Because with all your therapy in your past, you must have been able to have, well, some certain standards that you were going to go into love with after all of this? Well, she had a business suit. So for me, that was that was kind of everything. <laughs> I was like, she's yes. a classy business Woo. lady, and I'm into it. Um, yes, I later totally. found out that she wore that one time uh, for a real estate closing <laughs> and otherwise never dressed that way. Uh, but it was enough to get me interested. I was like, she's got a business suit and I'm in. Um, and, you know, actually, what was really interesting is I was starting to get better, uh, but I was still a long way from it. And she was kind of the first person that I'd ever dated that said, oh, Jason, like, you're great. Uh, and I love you and everything. Um, and we can do better. We can do better. Um, and so we're going to do better or we're not. And that was the first time I ever had a partner that just said like, oh, we're going to do better or not. Um, everybody else either just said like, yeah, things are great and, and you struggle and your life's a mess, but that's okay. You just stay there <laughs> okay. uh, or I don't want that. Uh, but she was kind of the first one to do the invite only thing with me and just say like, oh, I, th- I think we're going to try harder than this. I think we can do better. I love that. God, she must have been already so solid in herself and saw that knew what she wanted and that you were the the person to go on that path with her. Yeah, absolutely. I I describe her in the nicest of ways as like a pioneer woman, you know, who can Mm -hmm. go and settle someplace. And she's like, well, this is what we do. And she's very stable. Uh, And I'm all over the board. You know, I'm like, ah. And so uh, (laughs) if they sent me to a new land with a bunch of supplies, like I'd eat everything and use everything the first (laughs) week. And they'd be like, that guy ruined that. So, So she was just like this very stable loving person who just said like, I think we can do better. Um, And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like, Mm -hmm. I actually think we can. Um, And so I I got a lot of benefit from that that I was able to pay back later when I said the same thing to her. I just said like, hey, Mm -hmm. I think we can do better here. And then we got to do it together. Oh, that's so beautiful. And how long have you been married now? Uh, Nearing 17 years. 
Wow. And you've got three kids. Is that right? Three kids. Yep. Three kids. Wow. Yeah. And how does being a therapist, do you find, is it a detriment? Is it a benefit to your relationship and your kids? Because I mean, I'm not a therapist, but my kids are always like, why are you therapizing us? I'm like, I, I first of all, I can't, I'm not a therapist, but <laughs> I'm coaching you different. There's a difference. <laughs> I, uh, I will tell you my kids and my wife never pay my copay. So they are like the worst <laughs> at making payments. Uh, I try to bill them and they just won't allow it. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think it's good. I think where I struggle is not wanting to be a hypocrite. So, so mm-hmm. I'm like, if I tell somebody this, um, I need to try to do it at home. Otherwise that's not right. And so for me, I think it kind of lifts my standards. And so I'm like, Oh, I got to do this differently. Um, I think it's also been a good thing just in helping my kids get some of the things I didn't and kind of know what those are and how to give them to them. Um, so overall I see it as a benefit. I think Sometimes, though, emotionally, uh, if you're working too much or you don't have good boundaries with that, um, you can get burnt out. And so I've mm-hmm. seen some therapists really struggle with home life because they're like, I'm giving everybody else all the good stuff. Right. And so I'm always trying to be extra careful I don't do that. Yeah, that can definitely happen. That's very, that's a very real problem. And yeah, at home, you know, like any, like any human, you guys get busy, you have family life, you've got jobs. What do you, do you have any strategies that you guys use to stay connected or do like check-ins weekly or, you know, so that you know where you're at, even, even emotionally, even, even logistically and, and, you know, physically so that you know how to support each other. Like, do you guys do any of that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I'm in town, so I travel quite a bit, but uh, when I'm in town, we meet every Friday uh, and we do kind of a happy hour check-in, my wife and I do. Um, And we just go through all the things that are really important in our life right now and how we're doing and how we're doing on our mission statement, on our shared goals. Um, And then we do like three conversation cards just to keep it kind of, you know, fun and interesting. And so uh, we do that. I managed to tell all my clients about it. And so now we do that with all my clients. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, I probably didn't need to say where we do that and what time, but okay, (laughs) here we go. Uh, So now it's sort of a public thing. Uh, But no, we do that at least once a week just to make sure that we're pointed in the same direction. Um, And to also have some accountability, because I think something that really helps us grow is someone who's invested in us and says like, hey, remember when you said you were going to do this? How's that going? Mm -hmm. And you can respond non-defensively and say, right. (laughs) It's fine. It's going great. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> Perfect. Right. Oh my gosh. I love that you guys do that because I think that that's such a, a suggestion that we make. And Mike and I used to do that too. We would check in and we also, we would always take the temperature of our relationship and or, or give us a percentage like, Hey, where are you at? You'd be like, I'm at 30% today. Like I'm stressed out about A, B and C. And so I'd be like, well, I'm at an 80. So what do you need from me? Right. And once we kind of got into that rhythm, it really helped to sort of set the set the stage knowing that where we were each at wasn't at either of our faults. It was just where we were. What do you need? What can I do for you? I've got a little bit more capacity. How can I support you? And, you know, I think that people think it's a very contrived thing. Like, why would I sit down with my with my partner or my spouse on a weekly basis and have a meeting? And I'm like, well, because you're investing in this, this is an investment. It's like a business. You're sitting down, you're making goals, you're, you're assessing how things are going. It's not necessarily you know, you're sitting down to talk about all the ways that they're bothering you or vice versa. It's this team check-in, which I think is very logical and reasonable. And I think a lot of people find it unromantic, but because they don't do it, they don't realize actually how romantic and intimate something like that to connect you can be. 
Yeah, it absolutely can be. And there is nothing better than tracking a big goal or something you're working on together over time and then realizing that goal, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I I think there's intimacy there. And, And I think also when I see clients, one of the complaints I hear a lot from men is I don't feel like I'm needed. And so even having that conversation of, hey, I need this, or this would be awesome if you could, sometimes when we give people a place to show up, uh, we're surprised because they actually really want that. Um, But if we're not talking about it, they won't do it. I agree. I absolutely agree. And I think it's just a matter of making it a priority in your relationship. Because I think sometimes too, we get to this place where we do all the work at the beginning. We try to win them over. We dress up in the business suit. We do all the things to get them, right? And then once we get that ring on their finger, we've got the wedding, we feel like, oh, I can relax now and I don't need to do any work on this relationship. It's secure. But to me, this should be where the work begins. You know, now it comes to I'm investing in this just like you would if you were running a business. You don't just let it sit back and let it just do its thing. You know, you you constantly check in, you see how it's going, you 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 put out some fires and before it the whole building starts to burn down, you actually put the little fires out as they start, you know? It's a good idea if you can. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah. it's really wise and actually having that that time to do that is amazing. And how do you guys manage, you know, co-parenting together, that balance at home between the two of you and responsibilities? Because I know that with a lot of couples too, that can be really offset and can cause resentment that builds up between them. Yeah. So I have this thing uh, that we call departments. And so there, there's like a department chair. And so that department chair uh, is best at or cares most about that department. And so we're going to kind of default to them, uh, but we have an opinion and a say. And so when we look at our lives, um, for instance, in in our home, uh, my wife is home with the kids uh, most every day. And so she is the department chair. Uh, We have discussions, um, but ultimately she's home with them and some of those things. And so she would make a decision about that. Um, And I know that sounds more traditional, but it doesn't have to be because there's been times in our life where I've been the department chair of the Mm -hmm. kids when I was going to school. So it can change over time, but we kind of figure out like, what, what do you want to be the head of? What department? Um, and then how do we work together in that place? And so we're still accountable. We still have conversations. Uh, but if there's kind of like a we're on the fence, I'm going to defer to you because I know you're more invested than I am. Right. And having that sense of trust too, you know, I think is, is key of letting go of some of that need for control of everything. No, you just control it all. I like I like to just hold on to control. I'm I'm not letting any of that go. No, it it is tough though, and it's tough on both sides. And and that's where sometimes you learn. Um, maybe that's a thing to work on. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you say, hey, hey Jason, uh, there are twelve departments in our marriage, and I'm the head of eleven of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would just say, oh, that that's so fantastic, and that's a problem. So we'll talk about that. <laughs> I love it. It sounds like you guys have quite a, a nice sense of humor going on in your relationship at home too. I love that. We try to laugh. You have to have fun. You have to have fun all the time. I love that so much. Well, this has been amazing. And I love that your your new book is out. So I think that everyone needs to know where they can get their hands on this, get past your past, how facing your broken places leads to true connection. And I think this is a an amazing way for people to look at their past as, as a beautiful piece of them and that they can actually grow and heal and be better because of it. So tell everyone where they can find you. 
Yeah, they can find it. Uh, all the major retailers like Amazon and Target, and Barnes and Noble, all those places. Um, and I would just say, you know, we we have this past. All of us, we all have that thing. Um, and so, what I want you just to see is that it's actually like a beautiful thing in your life. Like it's actually a superpower, uh, but we have to be willing to look at it. Otherwise it controls us. And so that's really the goal is to help people look at that and get to that better relationship they want. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And they can also find you, you have a website and you have Instagram. Yes. Yep. And I post there as you know, pretty often uh, with tips and advice to help people have better relationships. Yes. And he, you definitely do. I love that about you is there's always like three things or five things that you can do right now, which I think is so key. People just want some really quick tips and strategies on what I can do and not from a place of, you know, you're very neutral. It's not about, okay, it's time to leave this relationship or it's time to stay. It's really about what have you not tried and here's something that you can do. So I love what you do. I love that. Love that you are here today. Thank you so much for being with, with me and with us. And I know that everyone took a lot of great pieces away from today's conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week. All of us know that it is next to impossible to make rational, logical, and even smart decisions from a place of fear. Most times, if we are in a place of fear and uncertainty, we won't make a decision at all. Cindy supports many individuals and couples at this stage who have been unhappy and unfulfilled, who are either currently in the process of divorce or just only contemplating the idea of separation. Cindy's clients are wise and brave enough to realize that they need to know more before they are able to make such a big life decision. Working with a divorce coach at these stages is the smartest investment you could make for yourself and your family, and it will almost always set you up for a better outcome, whether you choose the path of divorce or not. There have been many individuals and couples who have decided to give their marriage another shot after working with Cindy. As a divorce coach, certified divorce specialist, and qualified discernment counselor, Cindy is an advocate of healthy relationships, whether a couple chooses to separate or try to stay together. She provides new insights, education, guidance, emotional support, and understanding of the many possible options for both individuals and couples who are on the brink of separation. At the end of the day, as Maya Angelou once said, when we know better, we do better. This is exactly the focus and purpose of working with Cindy. Are you considering separation or currently in the process of divorce and feeling overwhelmed, afraid, and confused about what this means for your future and that of your children? Do you want to make the right decision without regrets? Why keep waiting? Book a free confidential discovery call with Cindy today. Text DIVORCE to 604-200-6446 or email info at divorceredefined.ca. All of us know that it is next to impossible to make rational, logical, and even smart decisions from a place of fear. Most times, if we are in a place of fear and uncertainty, we won't make a decision at all. Cindy Stibbard, founder of Divorce Redefined, professional divorce and decision coaching, supports many individuals and couples at this stage who are unhappy and unfulfilled 
who are either currently in the process of divorce or just only contemplating the idea of separation. Does this sound like you? If it does, you are not alone. Text DIVORCE to 602-200-6446 to book your free call. Those who choose to work with Cindy are wise and brave enough to realize that they need to know more before they're able to make such a big life decision. Working with a divorce and decision coach at these stages is the smartest investment you could make for yourself and your family. And it will almost always set you up for a better outcome, whether you choose the path of divorce or not. There have even been many individuals and couples who have decided to give their marriage another shot after working with Cindy. Because what she offers at Divorce Redefined is different. You don't have to only be getting a divorce to benefit from her professional guidance. Cindy offers a unique element in addition to her popular divorce services called Decision Coaching. Decision coaching is a type of guided support that is meant to help couples get out of that indecision purgatory. Modeled after her training at the Doherty Relationship Institute, Cindy Stibbard's decision coaching approach is specifically designed to do just that, help couples come to a decision, whether to take one more shot at reconciliation or whether it's better to prepare for divorce. Regardless of the direction taken, couples on the brink finally find the clarity and confidence to know whatever they decide, it is what's best for their family. As a divorce and decision coach and certified divorce specialist, Cindy Stibbard is an advocate of healthy relationships, whether a couple chooses to separate or try to stay together. She provides new insights, education, guidance, emotional support, and understanding of the many possible options for both individuals and couples who are in the process of uncoupling. At the end of the day, as Maya Angelou once said, when we know better, we do better. This is exactly the focus and purpose of working with Cindy. Are you considering separation or currently in the process of divorce and feeling overwhelmed, afraid, and confused about what this means for your future and that of your children? Do you want to do this right and make choices without regret? If you still aren't sure, ask yourself this. If I'm still in this exact place six months to a year from now, am I going to be okay with that? If your answer is no, Cindy is ready for you. Book a free confidential discovery call with Cindy at Divorce Redefined today. Text DIVORCE to 604-200-6446. That's text DIVORCE to 604-200-6446 to book your free discovery call today. You don't have to do this alone.